0: If you have Bibles with you Please open up to Ephesians chapter 3 I'm going to share with you An Easter message this week And um, we'll get back to our Our journey on uh, Galatians Through Galatians We'll we'll pick that up again uh, next week So I, I plan to share a brief Easter message with you I know that families have places they need to go And stuff they need to catch up with So I just want to It'll be a little bit shorter than than usual. And what I'd like to talk about today is the power of the resurrection, as Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Philippians. And so please follow along as I read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to his friends in Philippi. And in chapter 3 he says, But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more... and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word, for the power that's in your word. For my friends this morning, I pray you would prepare their hearts, be fertile ground to receive your word. Lord, use me, use even me, To speak your words, your people, in such a way that this would be the fruit. That we'd all be more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's good that we're together today. Easter is the highest holiday on the Christian calendar. It doesn't get any better than this. Christmas might be a close second, but nothing's better than Resurrection Sunday. Christ's resurrection from the dead is what sets Christianity apart. Uh, from all other world religions. And so today I want to share briefly one of my favorite portions of Scripture. And like I said, I promise to be brief so you can get lots of family activities. Verse 7, Paul says, but whatever, but whatever what gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now prior to Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Prior to seeing that great light and being knocked off his horse in a supernatural encounter with God, Paul had invested quite a bit into his private and to his public uh, spiritual life. He was a professional clergyman of the highest order. He had invested much into his training and his education. It had been a lifelong endeavor for him. In the previous two verses of Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul describes some of this previous life. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I am more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul had invested quite a bit into his previous way of life. He was highly educated, and he was a well-respected Jewish leader. And with more passion and zeal than probably anybody else around at the time. How much zeal you got to be to hunt down Christians to persecute them? Lots of zeal. He thought he was right. I've said this to make a point. But as far as Christians in that day were concerned, St. Paul, Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, prior to his encounter with Christ, he was the Osama bin Laden of his day. He was a zealous, a religious zealot terrorist who hunted down people who believed differently than he did and killed them for it. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. Read Acts chapter 7. But now after his encounter with Christ, all that he had invested into, all of this professional education and training, this whole life he had invested himself into, was so passionate for, was so zealous for, this is what he says. He considers all of it a loss. Verse 8 goes on, he continues, he says, what is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So he goes on, he says, if that's not enough, my former way of life, not only do I consider that all a loss, I consider absolutely everything. It's a, it's a total and a complete loss. It's unsalvageable. It's garbage compared to knowing Christ. The NIV says, well, Paul says that he he considers all of this a loss compared to knowing Jesus. Different translations said it different ways. The NIV says the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. The New Living Translation, Translation says the infinite value of knowing Christ The American Standard Version says the excellency of knowledge. I like the amplified best. The priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ. Deciding to become a follower of Jesus cost Paul everything. And he still walks away thinking he's got the best deal in the universe. And it says for his sake he's lost all things and considered it garbage. The King James Version most accurately interprets the word, translates the word garbage as dung. It's a less polite, but a vastly more accurate term. The point Paul's trying to make. Strong's defines that Greek word as the excrement of animals. When he says dung, he really means dung. Something that's worthless. And not just worthless, but detestable. We know that, right? Some of us have stepped in dung. We know just how detestable it could be. That's, that's how he views his former life after his encounter with Jesus. So make no mistakes. And most of you in this room, I know you've been Christians a long time. There can be a cost to following Jesus. And usually that cost is this. It's our old life. It's our old way of life. I've said this before, and it's a good sign that i repeated. The cost of the new wine is the old wineskin. If you want the new wine, and most of us do, what it costs us is the old container, the old way of doing things. So that's a price that Paul gladly paid, still thinking he got the better end of the deal. Verse 9, he says, Did I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now we've been, we've been nailing, putting our finger on, addressing that very topic for weeks now as we look at Paul's letter to Galatians. That this priceless new life in Christ is not based upon... It's not based upon the law. It's not based upon following religious rules and regulations. It's not jumping through every spiritual hoop, dotting every spiritual I, crossing every spiritual T. It's not following specifically the old Mosaic law that the Hebrews were commanded to follow. It's a new day. When God said he was doing a new thing, he meant he was doing a brand new thing. It wasn't an update to Judaism. It wasn't um, a better version of law. He was putting away the old thing and <coughs> establishing something entirely new. Not based upon rules and regulations, but on faith in Christ. On the grace of what he's done for us and our trust in him. Solely based on trust. Verses 10 and 11. Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead he says i want to know christ the word know that paul used here is a fabulous word it's a wonderful word in the greek it's the greek word gnosko and it's actually a jewish idiom for sexual intimacy So when he says he wants to know Christ, he's talking about a deep, very intimate, and very personal type of knowing. What he's not talking about is opening up a history book and memorizing or referring to the facts and the data that are listed about someone who existed at some point in time. What he's not saying is, I want to know information about God. See, he's been down that route. Right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He knows what it's like to live a spiritual life where he has all this information about God. But he uses a very different word here. He's not talking about academics. He's not speaking about education. He's not talking about information. He's talking about experience. I want to have an experience with God. I want to have a personal experience with God. I want to know God because we've experienced something together. As a younger Christian, I'd gone to conferences and I'd seen videos and, and, um, and I would listen to uh, cassette tapes of preachers. And one of those preachers was a man by the name of John Paul Jackson. And so I could remember a friend of mine gave me a, a six cassette tape set. This is telling me how long ago this was. Remember cassette tapes? This had six cassette tapes on John Paul teaching on dreams and visions. And this was, at that time, so incredibly foreign to me. I had no boxwork. And so my friend gave this to me, and I was just fascinated. I was intrigued. He spoke about it the significance of colors and numbers. And I think I practically wore those tapes out just listening again and again and stopping the tape and taking notes. And so I, I, would, I spent hours listening to John Paul Jackson's voice and, and taking notes on teachings and materials that he put together. But I didn't know him. I'd never met him. I never met him. I had some kind of picture in my mind of what he must be like from reading his stuff and Listening to his materials, even studying his materials, but I didn't know him. And God, in His infinite wisdom, years later, I did get to meet him, and I did get to know him. And then one Thanksgiving, Nadine and I are having Thanksgiving with John Paul Jackson and his family. I get to—I'm sitting between his parents at the table, and I'm watching him and his brother banter with one another. Most people who knew John Paul Jackson are like, ooh, this is, this is this really anointed prophet. And, right? His brother wasn't impressed with him. <laughs> his brother certainly didn't think he was a big shot. And his father would rib him. And they were just real people. Then I got to know him. Do you see the difference? We had an experience together. We shared Thanksgiving dinner together at his parents' house, at his brother's house, with his parents there. Now I'm getting to know the person... We experience something. When Paul says uses the term gnosko, he's not talking about listening to John Paul Jackson's cassette tapes. He's talking about having dinner together on Thanksgiving with his family. Do you see the difference? I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. I don't just want information about Him. I want to know the individual. What does He like? What doesn't He like? What's His favorite color? How does he take his coffee? Does he even drink coffee? I know Nadine. We've been together going on 40 years now. I know her. She knows me. She can look at me. We'll sit there and watch television. And she'll just kind of look at me and says, you want ice cream? And I'm like, how did you know I was thinking about ice cream? Well, probably a fair bet I'm always thinking about ice cream. But, but I mean, like, just that second, I was thinking about ice cream. I was like, woman? Get out of my head. She knows me. <laughs> she knows me personally. She knows me intimately. This is what Paul wants. Not an academic, a historical, or even a theological understanding and knowledge of God. He wants an experience with God. He wants to actually know God. Now this, this is the purpose of Easter. This is the purpose of the incarnation. The crucifixion, which we celebrated this past Friday, on Good Friday. And the resurrection, it's all for this purpose. It's so that we would know God. So that we would have a relationship, an actual friendship with God Almighty, the God of the universe. Easter was the reset button. When God designed all this, when the, the purpose of creation, the reason why the universe exists It's because God wanted to share a love relationship with you and me. And he needed to create a place where we could meet. He creates the universe. That's a picture of his extravagance. See, he creates all that there is so that we can have a relationship with him. And that's what it began, like with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then things got messed up. The purpose of Easter was to get us back to that. Get back to the place where Adam and Eve could walk with God in the cool of the day. They would enjoy the day together. The purpose of Easter is so that you can have that type of access to and relationship with Almighty God. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And knowing we'd never be able to get there, Jesus paid the price for all of it on his end. So much so. He's taken us on a date, he's paid for everything. <laughs> He picks up the tab, the full tab. Not waiting for you to put your hand in your pocket. (laughs) He's that good. It's all about relationship. This whole thing we call Christianity and and the crowning pinnacle of it, Easter Sunday. My friends, it's all about the restoration of, of relationship between humanity and the Trinity. God wants... An experiential, interactive friendship with you. No matter what your life is like today, maybe you came here today and you feel like, I'm in a pit. You have no idea, Tom, what kind of week I had and how I messed up, how unholy I feel. God knew all that. He still picked you. Nothing you do, nothing you could ever do, nothing you've ever done is a surprise to Him. He knows it all, and still, He has sought you out. (laughs) He has chased you down. And he has relentlessly pursued relationship with you. He's that good. His grace is that amazing. His love for you is that extravagant. It's all about relationship. In the incarnation, he came to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to us because he knew we could never get to him. It wasn't like he demanded, climb up this mountain. Let's see how far you could come. Maybe I'll meet you halfway. No. In the incarnation, he came down to us. knowing we were powerless, we couldn't do it on our own. Could you imagine putting a newborn infant, maybe a few days old, on the floor, and looking at that infant and says, climb up here. You want a hug for me? You want me to kiss you on the face? Come on, get up here. Get up, get up, get up. That'd be ridiculous, right? There's not a parent, certainly not a grandparent here that would ever consider doing that. We reach down. We pick up that child. We hold it in our arms. We kiss it on the face. If you're Nadine, you zerbit its belly. You know what a zerbit is? Right? (laughs) Right on the belly. That's what he did for us. We're the infant. He knew we were powerless. We would never be able to climb up to Him. And in the incarnation, He reaches down to us, takes on our very form. Why? So that we could more easily relate with Him and understand Him. Because He loves us that much. The life of Christ, Jesus lived the life He lived. He modeled a way for us that we didn't even know existed. And in the resurrection, He overcame for us hell and death In the grave, because we were powerless to overcome it. And by so doing, made a way for us to have access to God again. At an unlimited measure. You were worth it. You were worth it to him. How do we know the worth of something? We know the worth of something by the price somebody's willing to pay for it, right? Just recently sold my old car, got 800 bucks for it. I was hoping I'd get more. It wasn't worth it. (laughs) I was hoping it'd be worth it. But I got 800 bucks. A little Ford, yeah. The 270,000 miles, on it might have been a factor. I don't know. But (laughs) On November 2nd, 2006, Mr. David Giffen paid the highest price ever paid for a painting. The work by abstract expressionist Jackson Pollock titled Number 5, 1948, was done on a four-by-eight sheet of fiberboard. It consisted of thick amounts of brown and yellow paint drizzled on top of it, forming a nest-like appearance. It sold for $140 million. $140 million. How do we know the value of something? Somebody's willing to pay for it. To that man, to... So Mr. David Giffen, wherever he is today, that painting to him was worth $140 million. And that's nothing compared to the price Jesus paid for you. You were priceless to him. You were worth everything to him. God himself put his, himself on the line, laid down his life, his very life, because he looked throughout time and he saw your face. And he said, you're worth it, and you're worth it, and you're worth it. I'll pay everything for them. That's the kind of love that he has for us. The closest I've even come to me be a a fraction of a glimpse of what that must be like was the day my my daughter was born. I remember when the nurse brought her out to me the first time and I saw that little face. I mean, I've laid eyes on her for a second, and instantly I know I would die for her. If I had to in this very moment, I would give my very life for her. I wouldn't hesitate. Of course I would. I loved her that much. And that's just an earthly father's love for his daughter. Our heavenly father's love for us is infinitely more. Infinitely greater. That's why it bothers me sometimes. When I hear people, when I hear preachers, guys like me, portray an angry God. The judge who's out to get us and drop the hammer and judges harshly. That's that's not the God of the Bible. It's certainly not the God of the New Covenant. He's the loving father. In the story of the prodigal son, the heavenly father is the one who runs after his son. And in the midst of the son trying to confess his sins, the father ignores all that, wraps him up in his arms, puts a ring on his finger, Puts clothes on his back. That's our Heavenly Father. That's Jesus. Describing the Heavenly Father to us. Guys, he loves you. I want you to know this on Easter Sunday morning. God loves you. And his love for you is perfect. And it's extravagant. It's unmeasurable. John wrote that it's a great love. And that he's poured that great love out on us. Lavishly. That's our God. We serve a good God. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, thought you were priceless. Jesus thought that you were worth it. Maybe you don't think you're worth it today. You're sitting here. He said you were worth it, and He did it just for you. In verse ten, Paul writes, "Yes, he won't. None of you want to know Christ. He wants to know." The power of the resurrection. Knowing Jesus means knowing this power. A verse 10, noted New Testament Greek scholar Kenneth Samuel Wurst said, writes this. He says, he, Paul, wants to know in an experiential way the power of Christ's resurrection. That is, he wants to experience the same power. That raised Christ from the dead, surging through his own being, overcoming sin in his life, and producing the Christian graces. Yes, to experience that very same resurrection power surging through you and through me. That's what I want. I think that's our portion. That's what's promised to us. For the life of me, I think there is no reason or excuse on earth why we we should ever settle for less than that. The very life of God. The supernatural power of Almighty God surging through us. What is this resurrection power? It is unquestionably the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of Pentecost. It's the very life of God himself inside of you, alive, in you, in each of us. It is the life-changing, transformative, explosive, dunamis power of God. It is the supernatural and miraculous power of God. That's the resurrection power. It's the very same power Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 18 to 21, when he prays, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, and I pray that your eyes would, to to the truth of who God is, and how he loves you, and his presence and his power that's available to us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us to believe, Get this next sentence. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So the very power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the very power that's available to you and me. The message, instead of saying mighty strength like it says in the NIV, it says endless energy and boundless strength. What does mighty mean? It means the strength of God bestowed upon us, bestowed upon believers. Strength afforded by power. This is the very same spirit Paul speaks of when he, when he wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So it's clear if you look at Scripture. The very same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that third person of the Trinity, that brought life from death lives and dwells inside you and me. Doesn't get any closer than that. Doesn't get any more intimate than that. It's that one and the same Spirit. And that's what we celebrate today. That very same Holy Spirit lives and dwells within each of us. Verse 10 goes on into verse 11. It says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, attaining to the resurrection, suffering in death. If you've been a Christian longer than five minutes, you know <laughs> that that seems to come with the territory. I don't think there's anyone here who could say, yeah, you know, I've, I've never suffered. My whole life's been just a piece of cake, you know. <laughs> never had a hard day. No one's ever treated me poorly. But there's good news. This is what Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Yes. There will will be hard times. You're going to follow Jesus, there will be challenges. But guess what? He's bigger than the challenges. He's bigger than the attacks of the enemy. He's more powerful and more faithful than the person who's been mean to you. He's that good. That very same Jesus who overcame hell and death and the grave on Easter has overcome the world. Our world. Your world. My world. You know, for far too long, I think many of us have been more acquainted with suffering and death and tribulation side of Christianity. I think it's time that we get to live a little bit more on the side of the resurrection power of Christ side of Christianity. Let it be so, Lord. Why Why not? Why, why not here? Why not us? Why not now? Oh, God, let it be so. Lord, we ask for a release on this Easter Sunday morning in the Charlottetown Town Vineyard throughout this whole city, Lord, from tip to tip on this island, that we would know the power of the resurrection. Let that be our portion. Give us more love and give us more power. So I have two invitations this Sunday morning. I'll close with this. Each of you have been on a spiritual journey. That, That journey has brought you here to this very place today. And I invite you to take the next step to enter into a a deeper relationship with God. Maybe for someone here today, it's the restoration of a broken relationship. Maybe you've never known God. Maybe the things I speak about just seem like completely foreign to you. Or maybe there was a day, a long time ago, possibly your childhood. But somehow along the journey, your relationship was broken. Could there be a better day to restore that relationship than Easter Sunday? It just seems right to me. It just seems apropos. Now, I'm not promising unicorns and rainbows and a painless life. That would be a lie. But I am offering real life and real love with an extraordinarily real real God. So the first invitation, you guys just close your eyes. I'm not going to make anybody stand up. I'm not going to make anybody come forward. This is is personal. This is between you and God. I just want to facilitate the moment. If you've never given your life to Christ, if the relationship I speak about seems foreign to you, this is your day. This is your moment. Why not? I give you the invitation to take that next step into the deeper things of God. So just pray with me. Oh God, to yourselves. Know that oh God, I've messed things up. I've been doing my own way for far too long. And it's just not working for me. Lord, I'm tired and I'm broken. I'm kind of angry and frustrated. And I need your help. I need more than your help. I need you to rescue me. Oh God, would you spiritually rescue me today? Like that baby on the floor, Lord. Pick me up. Hold me in your arms. Kiss me on the face. Observe my belly. Draw me closer to you. And we can begin this journey, this new beginning, this great adventure together, oh God. I give you my life. And I thank you for giving your life for me. And here's my second invitation. If you want to know the power of the resurrection, maybe you've never experienced what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For some people, the experience of giving their life to Jesus and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens all one at the same time. For other people, at some point in their life they gave their lives to Christ, but... Maybe they didn't even know about this Holy Spirit stuff. I'm here to tell you today that the power of the Holy Spirit's available for you. And so if that's you, again, this is between you and God, I pray for you this morning. Oh God, give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, live inside. Take up full residence. Pour out your Spirit upon us without measure that we would know that we would be well acquainted with, that we would know experientially the power of the resurrection. Let let us experience it, O God, in tangible and in practical ways in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us with the gifts of your Spirit so we can live with you And we can live for you. Pour out your spirit. Give us the power of the resurrection. Let it be so, God. Amen? Amen. Isn't our God good? I want to have uh, Nicole and Jesse come on up and we will close out our Easter service with a uh, final song. From, from my house uh, to your house, we love you guys. It's such, a, such an incredible privilege to get to celebrate um, the highest holy day on our calendar uh, with all of you. We love you dearly. I pray that, that you guys have just a wonderful day uh, with your family. Amen.